Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. Brought to you by Barclays. It's been a busy week in the Barclays Premier League with the wind blowing the title race wide open. Brilliant character from the team. We're growing all the time and developing our way of playing and working. But you know as well as I do that this is a league that's about character and mentality and uh, we showed that we have that tonight. So Liverpool are the only team in the top four to win, but Chelsea stay top. A point is a point and let's see in the end of the season if you lost two or if you, or if you won one. In a congested bottom half, West Ham are the biggest movers. For us it's getting both ends right and we've always had the defensive end right, but now we are taking our chances. And another impressive away win for Southampton with left-back Luke Shaw outstanding again, but just how good can he become? I haven't seen an 18-year-old so strong, so quick. I think if he keeps working hard, then he'll be the best left-back in the world. So he just has to learn the game, and he has potential to be the best, no doubt. We speak exclusively to Saints goal-scoring hero Jose Font about the club's rising stars. Former Hammers midfielder Don Hutchison joins us to discuss their superb recent form. We speak to an optimistic Liverpool fan from Sweden. Plus, we catch up with Ray Parler on the Bark Please Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Jackie Oatley and joining me to look back at a busy midweek set of fixtures is the former Arsenal and West Ham midfielder Stuart Robson. So, Stuart, two matches in five days for most of the clubs, but there are a couple of games called off due to the weather. Manchester City versus Sunderland and Everton versus Crystal Palace. How do you think the postponements will affect those clubs in particular? Well, I think there'd be a bonus for Everton and Crystal Palace. It means Everton can get one or two players back fit. They're not playing in Europe. They're not in the cup competition. So it's a good opportunity for them to play games later on. For Man City and Sunderland, I think it could add a bit of congestion to their fixture. So I don't think that's good for those, particularly Manchester City who are in every competition still going. Well, just to remind you, throughout the season, we're looking for the standout moments of sportsmanship and spirit in the game through our hashtag YouArFootball campaign. Any particular examples that you noticed, Stuart? Well, it started off as a very sad bit of news. A chap called Rick Wee, he's come from abroad, 30 years been an Everton supporter, and he tweeted before the game that this was the first time he'd seen them live. Of course, the game was cancelled, but Everton got through to him. They saw this message on Twitter, and they invited him to see Martinez, to meet uh, all the players, players. He had a great time. He was shown round the ground. So it ended up being a very nice moment for the young man. Lovely touch from Everton. Proper football club, isn't it, Everton? Oh, they are a proper football club. The fact that he came all the way from Malaysia, well, hopefully he'll be back again to see Everton in action. Well, we'll start at Craven Cottage, where Liverpool twice came from behind to pick up a priceless three points against Fulham, coming out 3-2 winners in the end, thanks to an injury time. Stephen Gerrard winner from the spot, and didn't it mean a great deal to him? Quite a celebration. But the fact that they'd come from behind twice to win the game in added time, do you see them as genuine title contenders? Yes, 
I don't think they're going to win the title, but I can see them near the top. They're playing very well at the moment. They've got great ability going forward. They're good on the counter. They've got a manager that is good tactically. They still have problems defensively, as we saw against Fulham. But I think they're a very good side at the moment. And they are playing with pace. And that's what the good teams do. Well, let's hear from the Liverpool manager now. Brendan Rodgers, who was understandably delighted with the spirit shown by his players, particularly in the second half. And I just felt at half-time we needed to up our intensity and aggression. And we'd done that. I thought second half we'd obviously pinned Fulham back much more in their half. But then we give away a poor second goal. So we're behind again in the game. And now it's a, a real severe test. But brilliant goal with young Philippe Coutinho. And we kept knocking on the door, kept pushing, kept probing. And eventually we got there. Dan's speed is taking him away from the defender. And we end up getting a penalty. And Stephen Gerrard is peerless in those situations. He's so cool and calm and a great penalty. Well, it must be pretty good to be a Liverpool fan right now. So let's speak to one of those, Daniel Eriksson. He's a Liverpool supporter from Sweden. I think there are a few of those over there, aren't there, Daniel? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. The day after a wonderful result for you, having come from behind twice away at Fulham, give us an idea what your reaction was when Steven Gerrard tucked away that penalty. Yeah, it was a big, big relief, to be honest, because games against weaker teams, when we have really something to lose, hasn't been our cup of tea the last season. So I had a bad feeling before yesterday's game. Even after the ridiculous victory against Arsenal, when you blew the league leaders off the park at the weekend? Yeah, even after that game, because Liverpool's main problem is that we are like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We need to be more consistent, especially away from home. How concerned are you about the defence, Daniel? Because there have been a, a couple of incidents, notably through poor old Colo Torre in recent times, who contributed to some really poor goals which you've conceded. Yeah, it's a big concern for us. You can't afford to let uh, one or two goals in every game. You, you can't do that. Well, we know that Suarez and Sturridge have been scoring goals and have looked a, a brilliant combination. What about the other two players, Coutinho and, and Sterling coming into the side? They've played well as well, haven't they? Yeah, they have, but they need to score even more goals. I think uh, we need to score more goals from the midfield compared to other top teams. We need to chip in from other areas. It was a wonderful pass from Stephen Gerrard last night, first time after he just slipped over through to Sturridge for one of the goals. What do you make of his new-look position this year? It's a good position for him, as long as the other uh, people are pressing high. And uh, CVG hasn't got the legs anymore to run from box to box in 90 minutes. You need uh, other players to do that kind of run. If they do it, he can play in the deep role, for sure. Many years to come. So if Lucas gets back fit, where do you see Lucas fitting into the team? Or doesn't he fit into the team with Gerard playing as that holding midfield player? As long as Steve G plays like he does right now, I think that Lucas plays is on the bench. And how do you rate your manager, Brendan Rodgers? He took them from eighth position as they were under Kenny Dalgleish, lifted them up to seventh, and now they're doing so well this season. How far can he take you? I think he can take us all the way. If not this season, maybe in one or two seasons. I think he's a top, top manager for Liverpool and I hope he will get a new contract as soon as possible. And just finally, Daniel, where do you think you're going to finish this season if you had to put your money on it? I think we'll finish second, uh, as we did the brilliant season 2008-2009. I think we'll end up second and Chelsea will win, sadly enough. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Well, great to hear from Daniel there. And they've got a few tasty fixtures still to come between now and the end of the season, Stuart. Manchester United away in the middle of March. Tottenham at home. They also have Manchester City at home and Chelsea at home. How do you see them faring in those games? Well, the way you said it with those home fixtures all coming, that's vital because Liverpool at home at the moment... 
They're pressing the high up the field, playing with an intensity. The crowd are right behind them. At home, I think they could be invincible from now to the end of the season. It's the away game that I would worry about against Manchester United. Yes, they've still got to go and beat Tottenham. They've still got to beat Manchester City. They've still got to beat Chelsea. But I think the way they're playing, they will certainly give them a tough game. We shall see. As for Fulham, the defeat leaves them rock bottom. But manager Rennie Moulinstein's remaining upbeat, despite the manner of the loss. Even when you get your noses in front for the second time, 2-1, which is great. You think, you know, let's build on this. And we knew we had to absorb some pressure, but we did fairly well. And then it's when that equaliser go in, then you know that team like Liverpool will push for the third one. But again, it was us that gave it away because I don't think there was no need for the challenge, which led to the penalty. But that was it. But loads of positives to draw from the two games. So hopefully we get some winnable games as well with teams that haven't got the quality of the likes of Liverpool and Man United. And that's where we need to pick up the points. Rennie Mullenstein's been talking a lot about taking positives and sometimes that can wear a little thin. But actually, in those last couple of games, there really have been signs that they're not dead and buried yet, particularly coming after that awful home defeat against Southampton. Yeah, I think against Manchester United, they played quite well defensively. I thought Byrne looked excellent at the back, winning balls in the air. They were counter-attacking at pace. That's what's happened under Mullenstein in the last couple of weeks. They look as though they've got more athleticism in the side. Richardson's doing a good job from his left-sided midfield position, breaking forward quickly. And it's good to see Holtby starting to play well. Well, at Tottenham, I don't think he performed as well as he could do. Holtby looks a good player for Fulham at the moment. I spoke to Holtby this week and he has really been boosted by the fact that he's getting on so well with the manager, Moulinstein. They have similar desires for the team and the way they play and he clearly feels wanted there and that's brought the best out of him. And he was lucky in the last game against Liverpool that Darren Bent, who I've been quite critical of in the past for not working hard enough, started to make runs in behind. He started to look like the player that we knew he could be many, many years ago. He was a plus point for Moulinstein, but Holtby, he's got vision, he can pick out his passes as he did against Manchester United for a good run from Sidwell for that first goal. And another positive for them, as Mullenstein is talking about, they have an £11 million striker still to come in who's got a fantastic recent record, admittedly in the Greek League. It's not the Barclays Premier League, but how do you see him slotting in? He's quick, got an eye for goal. He will make forward runs. All the things I was talking about, Darren Bent, I think the player coming in, Mitroglou, can do much, much better. I think he's a really good player and a good signing for them. Well, next up for Fulham is a big one against West Bromwich Albion away. Now, to West Bromwich Albion on Tuesday night, a late Victor Anichebe header salvaged a crucial point for them in their fight for survival and dented Chelsea's title hopes at the same time. Did you feel that, that was a fair result in the end? It was a fair result because I think it's a difficult pitch at the Hawthorns at the moment. It's not easy to play passing football. Liverpool found that out a couple of weeks ago. So I think Chelsea did all the right things. They were tough to get at, counter-attacked at the right time. So Chelsea dominated that first 60 minutes, but suddenly West Brom got back into the game. They started to force Chelsea back. Back and Chelsea didn't have an answer to it. They looked a tired side in that last 30 minutes. So I think the result was the correct one. Well, the Chelsea manager, Jose Mourinho, was far from happy afterwards. I think the game for 60 minutes was uh, completely in our hands. 60 minutes, they don't put one foot in our box and we had lots of situations. I'm not saying clear all situations, but clear situations of uh, finding the space. And after that, in the last 20 minutes, they put uh, pressure on us and... Uh, the team stayed back and a defensive mistake is a goal and um, maybe they deserve the point. A point is a point and let's see in the end of the season if you lost two or if you, or if you won one. Well, in the last couple of months, Jose Mourinho has really sorted out that defence after a leaky start to the season but just how glaring was the absence of John Terry? I saw them play against Newcastle and Terry wasn't playing. They looked good defensively. I think only a couple of shots came in from Newcastle. David Luiz is a good player. He's likely to make the odd mistake or two but John Terry hasn't got the same pace as David Luiz but he's a good organiser and Cahill and John Terry have been a good partnership. 
I don't think it's a massive loss for Chelsea if John Terry doesn't play every week. But I, I certainly, when he's playing, they look a better side. And in that match, they managed to keep Eddie Hazard fairly quiet. He's been on fire recently. He has. He's been probably the best player in the Barclays Premier League for a few weeks, racing onto balls, scoring goals, creating opportunities. But I said the pitch at Hawthorns isn't particularly good. Uh, he wasn't able to get past his man. Reed. I think, was playing at right back, who did a good job on him. And he didn't just combine with the other players. So it was a difficult night for him. But you expect him to have a quiet game after having so many good games. Well, Chelsea is still top of the Barclays Premier League, despite those dropped points at the Hawthorns. But City do have a game in hand on them. Well, the draw moved West Brom out of the relegation zone, but midfielder Chris Brunt believes they need to start converting some of these draws into victories. Yeah, I suppose there's good draws and bad draws. That's a good draw, but obviously our league position shows we've had too many draws this season. You know, we're going to need to start turning those into wins very quickly. But you know, against the, the top side in the league, that's that's a good point for us. I think we can't deny it at all. We're we're in a fight, and, uh, along with probably ten other teams, which is good. There's plenty of teams down there for us to claw our way out, but we can only affect what what goes on here and in, in, in our game. So we're up for the challenge, and you know, hopefully that tonight that's the, the first step on on the road to recovery for us. So West Brom only just above the relegation zone on goal difference. Extraordinary to think they've only won four of their twenty six matches all season. And I thought they looked at their best when Keith Dowling was in charge. They changed their system, they played with three at the back, they started to control games in midfield, but under Mel, I don't think they've improved actually. Although they got a good result against Chelsea, their performances haven't been any better and I think they're a team that could struggle come the end of the season because they're just not controlling matches as they were when Keith Downing was in charge for that short spell. Well, Keith Downing obviously knows the Barclays Premier League, Pepe Mel doesn't. How much of a gamble was it to bring in a manager from Spain who doesn't know this league at such a crucial time? Yeah, and I think he's a manager that wants to play football and I talked about the Hawthorns pitch not being a particularly good one so when they're trying to pass it it's not been easy for them I didn't think they played particularly well against Liverpool they played well in the last 20 minutes but they can't keep leaving it to the last 20 minutes they need to play well right from the start of the game Well coming up we'll be speaking exclusively to Southampton's match winner against Hull on Tuesday evening You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Jackie Oakley to the Emirates next, where on Wednesday night, Arsenal and Manchester United played out a KG nil-nil draw. You watched the match, Stuart. What did you make of it? It wasn't the best game. I think both sides were reeling from their last performances. Obviously, Arsenal's defeat at Liverpool, and it was a really heavy defeat. And Manchester United only drawing against bottom of the table Fulham, as it was at the time. Had Robin Van Persie scored in that first minute or so, it would have been a totally different game. I think Arsenal would then have had to play with more urgency. But it looked as though Arsenal were nervous. And they had nobody running beyond Giroud. At the start of the season, he was flicking balls on. He was turning balls around the corner for the likes of Walcott to make forward runs, the likes of Ozil to make forward runs. Now Arsenal aren't making those same forward runs. They wanted to play in front of Manchester United. And when Ferdinand came on in the second half, you'd think they'd try and run him behind him. He hasn't played for a little while. There's talks that he's not the same athlete that he once was. He's got injury problems. He had a very easy second half. It was only when crosses came into the box when Manchester United trouble and Vidic did well in the air. Well, let's hear from both managers now. David Moyes, but first of all, Arsene Wenger. It was a game of uh, very few chances, but our defensive focus was extreme today because we had uh, conceded so many goals on uh, Saturday and uh, they were as well uh, focused on defending well. And in the end, it could have gone 1-0 on either side. That was a tight game. Both teams had one or two opportunities. I thought overall we looked quite compact and uh, we defended well throughout the game when we had to do so. You know, we had opportunities to score even from the first minute. I think Robin has a great chance in the first minute. So we made some opportunities. I'd like to have played better at times when we went forward. But overall, I thought defensively we looked sound and most of the game being in, in control of it. 
the Chesney save in the second half, was that world-class? Yeah, it was a world-class save. I mean, Robin Van Persie, I thought, could have done a lot better if he heads it down, heads it back across the goalkeeper, which he had chances because he didn't have to jump for the ball. Probably the only time in the game that Van Persie and Wayne Rooney combined. It was a brilliant bit of play from the pair of them. It went out to Wayne Rooney, the clip over the top, but Chesney, good save. And he's been excellent for Arsenal this season. Lots of people have been critical. I was critical of him over the last couple of years. Overconfident at times, made poor mistakes, made bad decisions, but Chesney this season has been excellent for Arsenal. What did you make of Matter playing on the left wing for Manchester United? It doesn't work. Matter looked disenchanted at times. He couldn't get involved in the game. He hasn't got the pace to go beyond someone like Sanya. Sanya wanted to go the other way, so he was taking Matter back in there. But somehow, David Moyes has got to find a position for Matter where he's playing more centrally. At the moment, I can't see how he's going to do that unless he goes with three at the back, which I don't think he will do. You wonder for whom that was a worse result. For Arsenal, off the back of that absolute pounding at Liverpool, they're second in the table, a point off Chelsea in the lead. Manchester United are seventh. It's extraordinary to say that they're 11 points off fourth place. I think it's a good result for Manchester United. Yes, of course, they'd like to have won the game and climbed the table, but they've got to get things right. If they lose that game, it's going to be a real problem for them. They've got a draw. They defended quite well, as David Moyes said there. Yes, they could have done better going forward because the right back for any team that plays against Arsenal is key to the way you play because Cazorla comes in field, allows too much space for the fullback to get forward. In the first half, Raphael didn't do particularly well. In the second half, Smalling did okay up to a certain point, but then couldn't find that final pass, as David Moyes was alluding to there. Well, as we mentioned, a very bad result for Arsenal at the weekend against Liverpool, but some of the fans were the latest to benefit from the Barclays bus scheme as they were given free travel to and from Anfield for their match against Liverpool last Saturday. Well, as the local lad in a team full of global superstars, Ray Parler had a special relationship with Arsenal fans who considered him to be one of their own and he was delighted to jump on the Barclays bus to Anfield to thank those gooners who follow the team to Barclays Premier League away games. Best memory of the Arsenal Way fans was just the, the atmosphere they built up in stadiums. I mean, they always filled the allocation out. You always got the hardcore fans going as well. Uh, so it was always a very special occasion anywhere you played. I spoke to him quite a lot actually this morning, uh, which was really nice. He came and sat next to me and we had sort of a really good chat. So it's been a really, really good day out anyway. I mean, Liverpool's always fantastic to go to, uh, but to be able to meet Ray Parler and actually, you know, have sort of the atmosphere on the coach today is has probably kind of softened the blow that we've received now, really. You know, I always had a good repertoire with the, the fans, always stopped and signed all class when I had to, and, you know, I always, always wanted to. So I think there was just uh, top-class fans. Um, and a couple of occasions I've gone down to the pub after the game as well and had a beer with them, and I just thought, you know, giving that a little bit back sometimes. I've been coming since uh, 1962, uh, when Billy Wright was, was manager. Barclays away bus is, is, is very, very good. I like the way they've done things, and um, especially having Ray Parler on here, who is my own personal hero. It's always good when we go away. Our away support is always fantastic, and we always get behind the team. And I think it was, you know, credit that you know every, everyone stayed after the game to actually clap the players. All of the players came over to us and, and clapped us and thanked us for our support. And, you know, it's, I think at the end of the day, if you're going to go away from home and you're going to get up at the time we got up this morning, you know, we're there because we want to support the team. So it didn't exactly work out for them, so it's probably a good job that they weren't paying for their own transport and they had Ray Parler there to entertain them. But did you socialise much with fans? I did in some ways because uh, my parents used to travel on the bus to Arsenal games, travel on the train as well with the supporters, and they had a very good rapport with the people that organised all that. And, of course, I got friendly with them. When I was playing for Arsenal, I had a very good rapport with the fans. Now I'm a pundit, not quite so good. That's because you're a little bit critical of their beloved manager at times, perhaps, Stuart. Well, for photos and more details on last Saturday's bar, 
Barclays bus trip to Anfield, you can go to the Barclays Football Facebook site. One team still very much in the hunt for a Champions League finish is Tottenham, who recorded a superb 4-0 away win at Newcastle on Wednesday night. Manager Tim Sherwood was understandably delighted with the performance, especially their improved first-half showing. We've been critical of the starts we've been making recently, but today we come out firing and uh, we were relentless from start to finish. We knew they could be a 12-man in Newcastle crowd, but it can work against them, like all big clubs. So it's important that you keep them quiet, and I think we did that by our start. And then um, we just kept the foot down on their heads, really. We can't even worry about what we can do with Liverpool. Um, obviously going very, very well at the moment, and uh, we've just got to make sure that we're right on them, and breathing down their necks, and, and we're certainly doing that at the moment. They are at the moment Tottenham fifth in the table. They're three points behind fourth place Liverpool. But why were Tottenham so effective at St James's Park? did everything right against Newcastle. When they had the ball, they looked penetrative with it. When they counter-attacked, they did it at pace. And when they didn't have the ball, they got good shape and they won it back quickly. Adebayor, eight Barclays Premier League goals now in his last 11 games. He's reborn under Tim Sherwood. Is that purely down to good man management? It must be. He can be an exceptional player. This is the Adebayor that I saw at Arsenal when he scored 25 goals in the season when he was as good as Didier Drogba. He could run in behind because he had good pace. He could win balls in the air. He scored lots of goals from the from the penalty spot with his head. He'd link up the play. He looked an all-round centre forward and said as good as Didier Drogba was that year. But when he starts to just go off the boil a bit, his work rate lessens and then he's not the same player. He goes from one extreme to another and what Tim Sherwood's got to do now is keep him going because that's what no manager's been able to do with him so far. Well, Bentaleb set up two of the goals. He really stood out. How do you rate him? He's pretty new to the Barclays Premier League this season. I was a bit disappointed. He got criticised. It was a cup game against Arsenal where he played in midfield and I didn't think he was overrun. I thought he did very well. He closed the ball down. He looked a good pass through the ball. But because he was young and Arsenal dominated the midfield area, he got criticised. I think he's an exceptional player. And it's credit to Tim Sherwood. Many wouldn't have played him, but he put him in the side. He's kept him in the side. He looks a good all-round midfield player. He's got all the attributes needed to be a top-class player. Yeah, he's the reason that Holtby went out to Fulham on loan. Well, looking at Newcastle, they're having a nightmare time of it. This was their third match in a row in which they've lost by three or more goals. And their manager, Alan Pardew, knows it's simply not good enough. The opposition completely dominated us, really, from uh, almost start to finish. The team tonight didn't look balanced, didn't look right. Loic uh, is not available through the suspension, and that's been costly for us. But I don't really think that had a major impact on tonight. We looked a little bit unsure at the back, we looked a bit nervous, and probably for the first time for a long time we looked unconfident, so we've got a bit of work to do. It's the manner of the defeat that uh, really bothers me. we got to have a lot more fight on the pitch for these fans than we showed tonight. Alan Pardew, understandably angry after that match. And you could tell that he'd had a few words with his players in the dressing room afterwards. It's quite unusual for a manager to say his side looked unbalanced. Yeah, because it's a criticism of himself. And when I look at the side, you look at the attacking players he had out on the field. It's a very attacking team. Amiobi playing, De Jong, Cissé, Sissoko, Gufran. The only player that's got a defensive mind in the forward or midfield areas was Anita. And I think Newcastle need a little bit of protection for their centre-halves because I think Williamson's had a good season. I've never really been a fan of Taylor. I think he makes too many errors, not so much on the ball, but decision making. You know, he'll go too far into midfield and balls get played in behind him or he dropped too deep when he should be squeezing up. So I think they need protection. There was no protection for Williamson and Taylor in that game, and that's why they were totally outplayed. And the fullbacks didn't play well either. Debushi is a good going forward, but I don't think he's a good 1v1 defender. And the same on the other side. Sanzon was taken off at half time. 
Apart from that, they're excellent. Well, Newcastle have now gone six hours and ten minutes without a home goal in the Barclays Premier League and they've lost their last four in a row at St James's Park. Well, it's obvious to point the finger at the fact that they lost Kabai. We know about his qualities on the pitch. How much were they missing him mentally as well, knowing that he was there and that they had that quality in the side? See, I'm not sure how that affects players. It never affected me. When a player left, it didn't affect me how I, I thought about our team. You thought, well, now it's a chance for somebody else to come in. You weren't worried sometimes when another player went, you might not have always got on with him. Kabai, remember, at the start of the season, wasn't starting that many games. And other players had come in and done really well. They were showing a great deal of athleticism. I saw them play against Tottenham away from home and they played with great athleticism. They're not doing that at the moment. Well, they're ninth in the Barclays Premier League, Newcastle. They're two points behind Southampton in eighth. And looking at them, they have 37 points, which means they're 13 points off relegation. So, in a way, what do they have to play for? That The money men will be saying... A lot because every place is so valuable. But is that hard for them to mentally motivate themselves? Well, I'm not a money man, but I would say you've got everything to play for. You've got to play for the fans because every week people are turning up and paying their money to come in to watch you play. You're playing for pride, your own personal pride. You want to be the best player on the field every time you go out on the field. When you're playing a Barclays Premier League game, you should never go on the field and not have anything to play for. It's a massive honour to be playing in the Barclays Premier League in front of thousands of fans who have paid their money to come and watch you. Do you think players always see it that way? They should do. Well, coming up, we'll be focusing on the bottom half of the table and we'll be speaking exclusively to Southampton defender Jose Font. Barclays have been running the Barclays Twitter ticket competition for you, the fans, over the past couple of months, where you can win tickets to a match involving your club simply by telling us why you are football. Let's take a quick look at some of the recent winning entries. Stephen Popo tweeted, My mum's maiden name is Pires, so of course as a gooner I used to tell people my uncle was Robert. Terry Forster writes, I took two trains, two buses and ran 30 minutes to Wembley to watch Stoke beat Chelsea in the 1972 final and without my mum and dad knowing. And finally this from Glenn Wardle. Because when I was always Clive Allen with jumpers for goalposts, never wide, always post and in hashtag you are football. Using jumpers for goalposts, Stuart, it's a, it's a fond memory. Did you used to do that? I certainly did. Three and in, I think it was called, a World Cup we used to play over the park. You being Franz Beckenbauer. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Why not? To have a chance of winning tickets to watch your club, tweet why you are football to at Barclays Footy with a Y using the hashtag you are football or post it to the Barclays Football Facebook page. <laughs> I'm here with Stuart Robson as we continue our review of the midweek action. Now just three points above the drop zone, a Hull who went down 1-0 at home to an increasingly impressive Southampton side. The Saints have now gone six league games without defeat and recorded back-to-back away top-flight wins for the first time since September 2001. Well, to discuss this superb recent form, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line now by their match winner on Tuesday night, Jose Font. Thanks for joining us, Jose. Uh, no problem. Quick word, first of all, about your goal against Hull. You seem to know that it had gone in straight away, judging by your reaction. Were you sure? To be honest, I was quite positive that it was my goal and the tackle was made quite inside the goal. So I was uh, almost 100% that it was my goal, but I was just waiting for the rest to give me the thumbs up. So you're quite relieved by the new goal line decision system then, that it gave it to you rather than somebody else? <laughs> no, um, I think the most important thing was that the ball was in the back of the net. But uh, as you say, yeah, the goal line technology did its job and uh, fortunately it was my goal. Yeah, you've got to take all these. Well, that's three away wins out of five now. Pretty impressive stuff in the Barclays Premier League. Why do you think you've been so effective on the road in recent times? I think the teams, um, when they play at home, they they need to attack more and they need to go for the game. And that leaves 
a lot of space for us to, to go and explore and utilize that space uh, much better. So I think when we play away from home, suits is better. We're a very dynamic team that runs a lot and likes to have the space in behind and in between the lines. So it has been good for us. We're in a good momentum and hopefully we can continue that. You've obviously been defending well, but it's not just the back four and the midfield players. It's been everybody. You defend from the front, don't you? You really work hard. It's the philosophy of the team. Uh, we, we press high up the pitch. Everyone that comes into the team knows that they have to work hard. It's not uh, only the defenders, as you say. It's, uh, it's everyone. The manager wants everyone to press and to do their jobs defensively. It's going very well under Maurizio Pochettino. He's not somebody who's very well known in this country or wasn't before he came to Southampton. Well, how would you describe his methods? What's he like as a manager and as a person? Well, first of all, he's um, a person that um, played football at a high level. He knows what he wants, his philosophy. He believes in uh, pressing. He believes in working hard. And uh, I think since he came to England, he has proved that um, he has done a great job. So all credit to him. He came, he changed a few minds and um, he's doing very well. So congratulations to him and to his staff. Is his English as good as yours, Jose? I think his English is uh, good enough, to be honest, to start giving some interviews. But uh, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to get lost in translation. But uh, we, we all understand him when he speaks because he, all, he only speaks English with us. Would you say he's a manager or a coach? I think he's both, actually. He's um, a very good motivator. And in the, on the pitch, in the training ground, he's great. Statically, he's brilliant. Uh, he has attention to detail to every single one of us. So I think he is uh, definitely one of the best that uh, I've worked with. It's exciting from an English point of view, Jose, to have so many young English players at Southampton and obviously being coached very well, coming through, getting an opportunity in the first team. What's it like to be playing and training alongside these youngsters? Well, here at Southampton, um, they always have the mentality of bringing the, the kids up to the system and give them the opportunity. And uh, this manager as well, when he used to, to be in Spain, he used to do the same. He believes in, um, in young talent. He likes to work with them. And the, the mentality and the philosophy in this club is to bring them up and uh, give them opportunity. So it's good to work with them because they want to learn. They want to they get better. And they know that if they work hard, they will get an opportunity in the team, as, as we saw with many examples uh, last year and this year. Luke Shaw in particular, who you defend alongside, has been tipped for the top. Do you think he can go all the way? Is he really a top-class talent, do you reckon? I think if he keeps working hard and if he keeps going this way, he'll be the best left-back in the world. Physically, he's a great athlete. He's very, very strong, very, very quick. So he just has to learn the game. And I think he, he, can, he has potential to be the best, no doubt. You really think the best left-back in the whole world Luke Shaw could be? Yeah, I deal with him every day. I've played with a lot of players. And uh, I haven't seen an 18-year-old so strong, so quick and learning so fast like he, he is doing. How far do you think Southampton can go under Pochettino at the moment? We're a very young team uh, and ambitious one. So the manager as well has his own goals and, um, and targets. And uh, I think this season we'll try and finish as high as possible. Obviously, we have uh, Man United three points from us. We have... Um, Newcastle, two points from us. We'll try and uh, catch Man United and finish as high as possible. Um, but the ambition of this club and this team and the manager and the players is to get better. And to get better is to finish next season in an even better position. So we'll try and do that. And just finally, Jose, we like to ask all our guests about their footballing influences. Uh, who was your idol or your hero when you were growing up as a lad? I have to say my dad, because my dad played um, 300 games in Portugal. He was a footballer as well. And um, I grew up going into the training ground with him and going into the pitch and watching him. So he teach me 
a lot of stuff, you know, he gave me um, a lot of speeches and most of the time not nice, but definitely my dad was my inspiration for sure. Jose Font, thanks very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you very much. So Jose's influence was his father, understandably, as he was a professional. Who was your influence when you were growing up? Oh, I had a few, but the player that I wanted to be like was Franz Beckenbauer. I had a chance when I first started playing. I was playing for England Youth and I played as a sweeper because we played a sweeper system in those days. But what a player he was and the way he used to pass the ball with the outside of his boot. A wonderful player that you could try and emulate. Well, looking at Hull City now, Steve Bruce, their manager, admitted that they lost to the superior team on Tuesday night in Southampton. I think Southampton are a very, very good side. They've got some outstanding individuals. And tonight we didn't really reach the standards of what we've set over the season and uh, we found it a difficult evening. The one thing that we pride ourselves on has been difficult to beat. We have to. And, you know, you couldn't fault the effort or the endeavour of everybody. But we simply didn't play well enough. We didn't pose them enough threat and we surrendered a possession away too easily, in my opinion. And as I've said, if we keep doing that against a good side like Southampton, then, you know, you're going to get punished. And I thought we got away with it. I mean, Harper's done everything he possibly can to keep it out the back of the net. And, you know, if you take a point you move forward you think well okay against the really good side it wouldn't be a bad result but uh, for me the better team won on the night Refreshing to hear some honesty from a manager not blaming referees deflecting away from their own side's deficiencies And I think he got the game exactly right you know Southampton played very very well they posed lots of problems for Hull and Hull on the ball didn't do quite well enough and there was reasons for that they're playing with a three at the back and I like teams that play with three in the back it means they can play three in central midfield they can play with wing backs they can play with their two new strikers up front you know in Jelovic and Long but the wide centre halves need to be good players on the ball and just looking at the two wide centre McShane and Davies aren't the best players to come out with the ball at times. So that's a problem that he might have to look into, Steve Bruce. And it looks like McShane's going to be out for quite some time with that ankle ligament injury as well. It was the 12th Barclays Premier League game this season in which Hull have failed to score. They do have those two new signings in Jelovic and Long. Do you think they'll get the goals they need to ensure safety this season? It's a good combination because Long, you know, I like the, his movement. He's a really keen runner to go in behind people. He's a good finisher. He's not a composed finisher, but he always seems to hit the target. And Jelovic, his work rate has been questioned at Everton. He's quite good in the air when the ball comes into the box. It's whether if you play with two up front, you don't get overrun in midfield. And that's why Steve Bruce has to play with three at the back because it means he can still play with three in central midfield. So I think he's playing the right tactics. He's just got to get the best out of those front two. Well, to a buoyant Upton Park next where West Ham recorded their third 2-0 league victory in a row, this time seeing off a determined Norwich City side. They're now up to 11th, which is quite extraordinary. And you think five minutes ago, people were having them dead and buried this season. Well, it's a complete change from what I saw over the Christmas period. No question about it. Sam Allardyce likes to play a direct style of play. But the problem with him at the beginning of the season and just before Christmas and over the Christmas period is he's playing up to a centre forward and nobody's running beyond him. There's no pressure high up the field, so they can't get crosses into the box. That changed against Swansea. Andy Carroll played, but he won balls in the air. Jarvis played higher up the field. Downing played higher up the field. Nolan could now make runs beyond and the two midfield players were playing higher up the field. And suddenly the tactics look as though they're going to work. And that's been the change in West Ham over the last three games. Well, manager Sam Allardyce was understandably upbeat now and pleased with yet another clean sheet for his side. 13 is an unbelievable figure when you've been struggling in the league and it's all been about not enough goals but now we've started to score again it's another two again today and uh, our goalkeeper has kept us in the game and then a set piece has put us on the right track and uh, it's difficult for the opposition to come back and then when they throw everybody forward Modi Army went from one end of the pitch to the other and finished it off for us two massive victories with it out handy and a great effort by every player that's uh, taken part
So that was West Ham's fourth clean sheet in a row. It's the first time they've done that since December 1985. And to discuss the Hammers' good recent revival, I'm pleased to say we're joined on the line now by former West Ham midfielder Don Hutchison. Thanks for coming on, Don. Good morning. How's things? Very good, thank you very much. Well, that was a huge win for West Ham on Tuesday, especially with the bottom half of the table being ridiculously tight at the moment. I know, it's incredibly tight down at the bottom. I mean, I think this might be the time where I can safely say West Ham might be clear. They're now in 11th position. They're still quite perilous, eight points off the bottom, but I think they're looking up now. I think, as you said before, the 13th clean sheet this season, which hasn't been exciting football, if I'm totally honest, from Big Sam, but the last three results, fantastic wins, as you said, and and a massive win midweek. So despite the fact that they have really struggled for goals, for strikers, we know all about the forward problems this season, you think they'll be absolutely fine purely based on the defence? Well, I think so. I think it's really important, both aspects of the pitch. I mean, obviously losing Andy Carroll is a massive blow, but Carlton Cole's come in. But I think as them clean sheets reflect, as you were saying before, and as I said, with 13 clean sheets, I think it's majorly important that a team like West Ham have got their back four fully fit. And then a goalkeeper in, in Adrian, who played ever so well against Norwich midweek, probably man of the match, you know, James Collins and Tompkins are both back now, the recognised centre-half. So on paper... As I've said many a time this season, they are quite simplistic, West Ham. You know, going forward, they've got wingers who can cross the ball and Jarvis and Down and, and Andy Carroll and Nolan, one of the best number 10s, are sort of knockdown balls off the big man, if you like. So they're having a decent season, but we've had to be patient. Why do you think that's happened against Swansea, Villa and Norwich? Have they changed anything tactically? Has it been uh, better individual performances or has the manager just got everything right? I think they've had a little bit of luck on the way. You know, I think against Norwich, as I said, Norwich was a better side for large parts of the game. The goalkeeper for West Ham was absolutely on fire, Adrian, and got them out of trouble in, in big moments of the game. So a little bit of luck along the way. I don't think he's changed it too dramatic. They are simplistic. They do rely on a big centre forward where Kevin Nolan is at his best. He's not good when he plays up there on his own, which Sam tried for two or three games. He's not really a central midfielder, so he is a little bit of a luxury, but a good luxury when the big number nine's playing. So in terms of next season then, just looking ahead a little bit, it's so important for them to stay up, of course, bearing in mind the Olympic Stadium coming up in a couple of years. But where do they go from here? Is Big Sam going to be accepted there? Is he going to continue with his style of play, which is perhaps unpopular with the supporters? I mean, do they have a lot to look forward to? I think it's very hard. And I think Sam's always on a sort of hiding and nothing, if you like, because there's certain clubs that have got a certain type of football and West Ham in their DNA is all about playing attractive football. You know, at the start of the season when Sam was struggling and through the midway period when teams were making changes, I was looking at someone like Glenn Hoddle. And I still can't believe that someone like Glenn Hoddle is not in charge of a Premier League side. Ray Wilkins is now at Fulham, who I'm a big fan of as well. And I think as long as Sam's losing games, the West Ham fans will always criticise his style of play. And I think that's absolutely fair. But now he's got West Ham out of trouble. He did get them promoted the season before, so he's done a decent job. But I think it's ever so important that he has to build on this now and he has to evolve as quick as he can because they need Premier League football West Ham going into the Olympic Stadium. You've talked about Nolan's goals. What about the two midfield players that have been playing in central midfield? Taylor and Noble, they've been doing quite well at the moment, haven't they? Yeah, Matty Taylor's done well. He knows the game inside out. He's not box-to-box anymore, but he's got a good understanding of the game. Mark Noble's a West Ham boy, and he was there when I was there as a young kid. and got a terrific attitude and a terrific love for West Ham. I just think throughout the 11, I think they have got players who are schooled in the Premier League way, if you like. And in a relegation battle, sometimes you've just got to go with your tried and tested, and that's what Sam's done. And just finally, Don, we're asking all of our guests this season about who the influences were on their football career. Who was it that inspired you to play the game? Well, lots, really. I mean, you know, I, I still get involved on Twitter about who's the best player ever, and I have a lot of Barcelona fans who say Messi's the best in the world. And, you know, I'm a Diego Maradona fan at 
I had a couple really. Glenn Hoddle was one that I loved watching as a Tottenham silky sort of player. But I grew up within two or three miles of Paul Gascoigne, and I knew him personally. And him growing up as a teenager, he was the one that I looked for. He was just a tremendous, tremendous player. Not a bad player at all, was he? Don Hutchison, thank you very much. Thanks very much, guys. As for Norwich, it was their third away defeat in a row, but manager Chris Hewton feels his side deserved more on their travels in recent weeks. It's similar to two weeks ago. We put in a performance at Cardiff that should have saw us winning the game. Had numerous chances, as we did today. And I thought right up until the goal, they had minimal chances. And, of course, the better chances had fallen to us. But we make life hard for ourselves. If you put yourself in a good position, then you've got to be more clinical in front of goal. They pulled on the pressure. It's a mistake for the goal. The second goal, I think, is just us trying to get back into it. And it's perhaps a little bit of naivety from the players. And we've ended up coming away with nothing. And um, that's harder to take because it's certainly something we didn't deserve. Well, Norwich certainly did pile forward and they did create a lot of chances, but how much of that defeat was down to misfortune and how much of it was their own doing? Some misfortune because they got themselves into good positions, they kept the ball quite well, they got good crosses into the box, but they didn't take their chance and that isn't misfortune. You know, Hooper was playing up front, Elmander I've seen a lot when he came on as a sub. He's not a great goal scorer, Elmander. You know, he often plays as the second centre forward, so I'm not sure where their goals are going to come from at the moment. They've got good wide players, that's where their strengths are. If they get crosses into the box, they need Van Wolfswinkel back in the side, they need Hooper playing really well and scoring goals and they need Elmander getting better in the box because that's not what he's doing particularly well at the moment. That's Norwich's problems not scoring enough goals and they're in a precarious position they're 16th so two points off the bottom three but they have played a game more than Sunderland who are third from bottom we're hovering just above Norwich in the table are Stoke and Swansea who met at a blustery Britannia stadium is it ever not blustery even in August by the way it's always freezing cold there and it finished in a one-all draw which was would you say a fair result I think it's a fair result difficult conditions to play really good football but I thought Swansea dominated most of the possession they looked the better side in certain aspects of the game but Stoke always looked threatening. Well Peter Crouch scored the opener but the big striker was disappointed not to be awarded a second half penalty. I just felt a touch, you know, I'm throwing a goal, obviously I'm not going to dive. I felt a clip, but uh, the referee said it was my own teammate, so uh, if that's the case, then, you know, obviously apologise for giving him the grief I did. It was important we didn't lose. Um, we've got a little break now, obviously, because, uh, you know, no game the weekend. Um, Would have been nice to, to get three points, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a few uh, performances, obviously beating Man United, you know, getting a draw away at Southampton and another draw today, we're still picking up points. But will they see that as two points dropped, bearing in mind they're at home against a side who's also in the relegation mix? Stoke have to win their home games. They're a side that don't do particularly well away from home. They're set up to really play at a high tempo at home and get the ball forward quickly, get bodies into the box and cause the opposition problems. The Britannia Stadium is always a difficult place to go. So at home against somebody like Swansea, they would expect to win that game. As for Swansea and their new manager, Gary Monk, it was a decent point on the back of a superb South Wales derby victory at the weekend. Apart from a five-minute period in the first half where we conceded a goal, I think 35 minutes we dominated the game, we kept possession, did well, dug in. I think we showed there today the two different characters in the last two games, you know, against Cardiff and then against Stoke today, we showed the football against Cardiff and today we showed we got football and character as well. You know, we had a chances to win it and could have easily have won that game today, so no, I couldn't be proud of the boys, really good effort. It was Chico Flores who scored the equaliser. He got a little bit of stick from the Stoke supporters, bearing in mind his antics at Upton Park recently. But Bonnie had a great chance to win it late on. He certainly did, and I like Bonnie as a striker. He's got good feet both right and left. He's somebody that gets his shots away early. He's good in the air as well for somebody that's not particularly big. But he should have scored that one, and that would have been a great fillip for Gary Monk in his second game in charge. Another great fillip for them and for Gary Monk would be having Michu back. He's been out for a while with injury. How crucial could he be when he's back? He'd be absolutely vital for them. 
I mean, Pablo Hernandez played there in that role behind the main striker last night. They've tried other players in that role. It's good that they've got Dyer back, but Michu is the player that made them such a good team last year. It wasn't just his finishing, it was creativity, his awareness of other players making forward runs and his ability to just drift into the box. So if he comes back, Swansea will be a much better team. Yeah, he wasn't a bad signing for £2 million, was he? Goal-scoring midfielder as he was. Well, Swansea, remarkably, in the top half of the table in 10th, and yet they're only four points off the relegation zone, having played a game more than Sunderland. What a funny old league it is this year. Well, we'll round off the week's matches with Swansea's South Wales neighbours, Cardiff, who could only manage a goalless draw at home against Aston Villa on Tuesday night. Well, let's hear from the Bluebirds manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. First half, I thought we were uh, excellent going forward. We deserved to be at least one maybe two or three up but then when you go into half time in a game like that and you haven't scored you know uh, they're going to come at you second half but Stephen Corker and Ben Turner did a fantastic job today both of them as good a defending performance as you can ask from the two defenders it still uh, leaves us six points behind Villa so we're still in touch with them have we lost today that, that would have been it nine points and that, that's a bit too much we wanted three points but uh, Villa they're one of the better uh, away teams in the league so uh, a point today is maybe not top top but it's better than nothing. So Solskjaer trying to be positive after a goalless draw at home to Aston Villa, which leaves them two points off West Brom in safety. How do you assess their position? It's a difficult one for them. They started the game very well against Aston Villa. It was an old-fashioned game, 4-4-2 against 4-4-2. But as he said, they dominated the first half, and it was particularly in the wide areas where they played well. Noon looks a good player out on the right-hand side. Zahar started the game well and then drifted out of it, and they lost much, which was a real blow to them quite early on in the game. But in the second half, Aston Villa dominated. But Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said there, the two centre-halves for Cardiff played brilliantly. And if they keep playing like that, it's going to be a struggle for people to score too many goals against them, particularly Turner, who I don't think is quick, but he made so many good blocks. He got on the end of crosses and he didn't give Ben Teke too many opportunities. What did you make of that wonderful save? If I'm just putting words in your mouth. <laughs> it wasn't bad. <laughs> that save by David Marshall later on from Weimann, which would have given Villa all three points. Well, Weimann had come on as a second-half substitute out on the left-hand side. It was a really golden opportunity for him. But he was going one way, he flicks up his arm and saves it the other. It's a really good save. But David Marshall's been in excellent form for quite some while now and he's one of the underrated goalkeepers in the Barclays Premier League. Well, some stats are interesting. Some stats are not very interesting. This one, I think, does tell a story. Villa have had just three shots shots on target in the past four hours of Barclays Premier League football. There's a lack of confidence, I think, in the front line of Aston Villa at the moment. But if they continue to play like they did in the second half, I think they'll be OK. Well, they still have some work to do. They're 12th in the table, which doesn't really tell us very much when you think how many teams in there have so few points between them. They have 28, four points off relegation, but they've played a game more. Well, there are, of course, no Barclays Premier League fixtures this weekend due to the FA Cup fifth round. So let's take a quick look at some of those ties involving our Barclays Premier League sides. On Saturday, we have Sunderland against Southampton, Cardiff at home to Wigan, the holders of course Manchester City gunning for the title against Chelsea who, oh they're not gunning for the title are they because Jose Mourinho said nah not this season, yeah right and on Sunday Everton at home to Swansea, Arsenal at home to Liverpool which is always a fascinating fixture and Brighton at home to Hull what stands out for you there Stuart? Well obviously there's two ties that stand out, Manchester City against Chelsea, you'd expect both teams I would think to play very strong sides but also can Arsenal avenge their humiliating defeat they had at Anfield only a week ago so Arsenal will be looking to beat Liverpool Arsenal need a trophy and this might be their best opportunity and they haven't had one of those for nearly nine years goodness gracious well why don't you tweet us your weekend predictions at Barclays footy with a Y is where you can find us well thanks very much for your company Stuart before we go why not have a go at our trivia teaser Branislav Ivanovic scored his 15th Barclays Premier League goal against West Brom on Tuesday night and you named the three defenders to have scored more top flight goals
goals in the Serb since he made his Chelsea debut in October 2008. And if you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it on the Barclays Football Facebook page and we'll reveal it on the site later on this week. We'll be back at the usual time next Tuesday with two special guests, former Charlton midfielder Matt Holland and alongside him will be the football journalist and broadcaster Jonathan Northcroft. We'll be spoiling you, so make sure you join us for that. Until then, from Stuart Robson and from me, Jackie Oatley, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.